love you talk, but hate the ads? Well, if you listen on Apple Podcasts now, you can listen to season two ad free for 99 cents. To do so, go to the Utah homepage and click the subscribe button. If you don't know how to get there, there's a link in the show notes. Your subscription also helps me continue to create great content. Thanks for your support. The thing I struggled with was at that point, I had poured really 10, 11 years of my life into running. Right, It started as a fifth grader, uh, which was semi-serious, and then eighth grade was really serious. So then from eighth grade to that point was really like six, seven years of serious, like eating right, sleeping right, not staying up late, you know, all these kind of sacrifices that come with being an elite athlete. And then it was like, was it all for nothing, right? Because that's, that's the thought that goes through your head. Was it all for nothing? Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll listen with Shannon Chapman. This week I'm talking to Jace Craft, host of the Science of Sports Recovery podcast and founder of Perfect My Podcast. Jace is also an elite runner. As an All-American in college, he was a four-time cross-country in SIC conference champion and was ranked in the top 25 Division II indoor milers in 2017. So when it comes to running, he's the real deal. I wanted to talk to Jace about an experience he had with the sport he loves that many people may not understand when it comes to athletics, and that's burnout. Jace, thanks for joining me. So let's just start with how did you get into running? Yeah, that's an interesting story there. I actually, it's my brother's fault that I got into running. I have two older brothers. They're twins. um, They're four years older than me. And I had always had aspirations to be like a professional athlete. That was my goal since I was like, really since I watched the Olympics back in Oh, probably 2000, you know, five years old or nine years old, somewhere in there. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be an athlete. Um, And then the sport kind of changed. It was like baseball, football. And I got hooked on football for most of my grade school. And my brothers played football, seventh and eighth grade. But then they were going to beat up. They were like six foot and 150 pounds. So they're just like skinny poles out on the football field. And they're like tired of getting beat up. So then they heard about this thing called cross country. They're like, we're going to go out for cross country. And I just remember being so mad at them for a while because they weren't playing football anymore. And they were going to do this running thing, which I had no idea what it was. (laughs) But like I looked up to my brother so much that I was going to do whatever they did. Right. So that summer they started training for cross country and just going out and and running by our house. I grew up on a farm. um, So it was just middle of nowhere. We're running miles and they would go out and like, well, I'm going to try to follow along. And they would, you know, leave me in the dust. I'd run with the dog, which is fat and slow. 
but we we do it. And that's how I kind of got into running um, was my brothers. And then once I was still like, you know, football's the real deal uh, until I went to one of their cross country meets that fall. Uh, I saw them do very well. They placed in the top 15, I think, in that meet. And that's when I was like, hmm, if they're good at this, I can probably be good at this. Right. And then I just kept going from there. Uh, and that's really how I got started running. And then it wasn't until like eighth grade where I started taking running really seriously. And um, it just kind of <laughs> blossomed from there. Did you have any goals as a runner or your future? I know you said you wanted to be a professional athlete. Did you envision yourself being a professional runner or like in the Olympics or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Olympics are always the goal. And it wasn't until like eighth grade that I understood like how serious you had to be to make it to the Olympics. And I remember there's a point in my life I'm walking up to my high school because our junior high and high school is the same building. So I'm walking up to my eighth grade high school and uh, it was like I was walking by myself, you know, with my backpack on. I can feel it today. It was like somebody tapped my shoulder and I physically looked over and there was nobody there, but I could hear this voice like, you're going to be a runner. It was like a calling. Like if you imagine a calling, it was like that kind of stereotypical type. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. I'll, you know, be this. There's something I like, something I was good at. Uh, And from there on, that's when I started running year round. I got you know, training really serious. And I went my seventh grade year from getting lapped by my brothers in the two mile, which was eight laps around the track, to beating them half the time my eighth grade year. They were seniors in high school. I was in eighth grade and I beat him half the time in the two mile. Now, there's a caveat to that because they usually ran more races leading up to that on that day. But uh, there was like a minute or 70 second improvement from one year to another and that's when i really realized like hey i i could do this and i could make a run at this um no pun intended there so that's where really my goal started to be you know forward thinking past high school past college into the olympic professional realm honestly i I was pretty on track for that for a while um i mean through high school i was the number two miler in the state my senior year ran a 419 mile uh, which anybody who knows running that's impressive for a high schooler but it's it's not like going to be top 20 in the nation you know it is for south dakota like nobody ever sees a 419 miler except maybe one or two people a year but it's not like you know best in the nation so then i i went to college and i knew that i knew like i was kind of an underdog coming in as far as nationwide talent but I worked really hard, you know, and it was kind of my identity. It was my dedication to the sport that got me from a 419 mile to a 410 mile in a couple of years. And then that's when things started to happen when, you know, we get into the conversation about burnout and health issues. It just kind of started unraveling there. But up to that point, I was, you know, on a trajectory to potentially break four and breaking four is kind of the magic number in the mile to, you know, having people seriously look at you for, you know, future running careers. What do you feel was your greatest accomplishment as a runner? And how did it make you feel when you accomplished that? Yeah, so, I, I mean, there, there's so much that my running career has given me as far as relationships and life lessons and, and those kinds of intangible things. But 
if you're talking like specifically running, there was a, a moment in my career. It was my freshman year of college that indoor conference. I came into the the meet. I was ranked third. I think third in the mile and in the 1K. And this is an indoor conference meet. And I, I'm just a freshman. I didn't really, you know, my goal was to get top three because that's, you know, what I was ranked. And I, but hadn't ever been in like that serious of a racing situation besides state meet in high school. But even in high school, I was always like the top of my class because there wasn't as much competition. So this was like, a pretty big deal for me. And I ended up in the mile, winning the mile by three hundredths of a second. It was literally a lean, uh, kind of a dive across the finish, me and this other guy. There's actually three of us. I beat one guy by three hundredths of a second, the other guy by like nine hundredths of a second. They were both seniors and I was a freshman. And that was like a pretty cool mo- moment. I, had, I didn't even know if I won when I crossed the line. It wasn't until my coach like peeled me off the track and was like, I was like, did I win? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, yes. You know, and then so that was that coach. And then the other coach came up to me, my distance coach. And he's like, good job. You got the 1K in 45 minutes. And I was like, oh, do I have to? <laughs> so I cool down slash warm up for the 1K. And again, I'm going into it like, hey, I've already won the mile. This is this is good for the day. Basically, anything could happen here, and I'd be satisfied. But you know, goal is the top three, and I'm coming in with 300 meters to go, so a lap and a half on an indoor track because it's a 200 meter track, and I'm in third place. And I just like if anybody is in running um, that's listening to this, you'll know that there's sometimes there's a point in the race where you just kind of settle, and you're like, hey, I can I can finish out here. It hurts because it's a race, but I can settle in here. And I was at that point. I was like, this is good. Third place. I'm good. And then I see my coach in the corner and he's like, our race plan was to do my final kick at 200 meters to go. It's just about 300 meters. And he he yells at me. He's like, if you want to win, you have to go now. And he was doing his uh, Watley windmill, what we called it, like his arms flying everywhere. Uh, and stuff. So I was like, okay, well, I'll try. <laughs> uh, That's kind of the thoughts that were going through my head. And I started um, closing the gap then on second. And second came back to me pretty quick. And then the I could see the guy in the lead in the back stretch with like 150 meters to go. And he was hurting and I was coming on strong. And I ended up passing him on the home stretch with like 40 meters to go um, and winning that race too. And that was like the first time that after the race, I I had teared up after the race because I like I couldn't believe it. Like I I went into the meet expecting to be like third and third, really. And I got first and first and <laughs> my whole team came and like tackled me uh, one, which was not cool because I just ran a 1K. But then they were like all gathered around and, and like clapped for me and stuff. And I was like pretty emotional after the race. and. The reason I was emotional uh, was like, yeah, it was cool to win, but like I had never exceeded my expectations in that way before in running because I've always set really high expectations for myself and, you know, always like the bar is set at perfect and then I would fall, you know, a little short from that and then be like, okay, that was a good race because, you know, previous, but I hadn't ever set like, this is best case scenario, I get third and third, and then, you know, exceed that. 
So that was like the first time for me that I surprised myself in a good way. Sounds sweet. What did running mean to you at that time? It's kind of embarrassing to say, but it was more of my identity than I would like to admit. You know, it was who I am. It's what I thought about all day. It's what I, you know, poured my life into. And, you know, there was always like your identity is not your sport. You know, that I, I knew that as a Christian, but it I didn't always practice it in the way I thought and the way I communicated with other people and stuff. So, you know, it was a big part of me. And losing part of that was hard in many ways for my confidence, for my identity, for my relationships and those kinds of things. So you're at the top of your athletic career, a lot of promise. What happened that threw a wrench in your plans? Yeah, it all started with something seemingly not that big of a deal. So my sophomore year, I had just ran a 410 mile. I was on my way to that four minute mile. And going into my junior year, I went out on a run, summer run, not a big deal. It's just an easy run. Um, it was supposed to be like 15 miles, but I got five miles into it and it was pretty hot. And I was probably dehydrated before I started, but I got five miles into it, started feeling a little weird and decided to turn around. So I turned around on the way back. I was like struggling to keep my miles under 11 minutes. Like I was I was walking and I was lightheaded and I was dizzy and I was just trying to make it back to the, where I came because um, I was doing an out and back. So I was five miles from my starting point and I had to come all the way back. So when I got back, then I started feeling really nauseous and which are all the signs of like heat exhaustion and that kind of stuff. But I was like, I'm not going to the hospital, right? Uh, so I just go home and pretty much can't move for the next two days. Like, I don't think I spent more energy than getting up from the couch, going to the bathroom and coming back. Um, and I just like was dead, tired, everything hurt. I was dizzy, nauseous, all that kind of stuff. All signs leading. I should have went to the hospital, but I didn't because I was like, it'll pass. Right. And then two days later, I woke up and I had like red spots all over my chest. And my girlfriend at the time now, uh, my wife, was like, we should probably take you in. And I'm like, okay. So uh, we go in, found out that I developed pneumonia from that. So then I had to take, you know, a couple weeks off of running from then. And I just like, okay, I have pneumonia. You deal with it. It's just like any other injury. And then you get back to running, right? That was kind of my thought. And at first, it seemed like that was the case. I did my time with the uh, antibacterial medication, you know, took my time off, got back to running, got back into it. And I didn't really notice anything until I went into competition. It was at the point where I had to get that last gear in, in running, where like you're in the last 400, 800, you know, depending on the length of your race, where you're making that last push to really pass people, to catch people. That's where I noticed it. When I hit that gear, my body would just go numb. (laughs) It's hard to explain uh, because when you're hitting that gear, like things don't work properly. You know, your body kind of shuts down because you can only hit that gear for so long. But I was very, very comfortable and very used to that feeling. Uh, because you have to be to run the kinds of times that I was running. And that kind of 
altered my confidence for a while. I was like, something's wrong here. And it was like really 18 months of us doing some testing, testing this, testing that, trying to figure it out, thinking it went away, then it comes back. And then, you know, every once in a while I'd have an okay race, but I never got back to the times I was running the year before. And sometimes I wouldn't even finish the race because I just kind of collapsed at the end because I was trying to push through it and my whole body was numb. So that's really where it kind of all unraveled. Um, Long story short is it, it started with the heat exhaustion pneumonia, and then that had lasting effects to what we found out was my lungs, which obviously is a big part of running, and it was affecting me at those top speeds. So I I eventually did get an inhaler, prescribed an inhaler, and that started to help with kind of the healing process and confidence process. And then by the end of my senior year of college, I was able to get down to close to the times I was running as a sophomore, just not all the way there yet. So what you were experiencing was burnout? So it started as not burnout. Um, It started as just like this weird health issue i just call it kind of a health issue because we didn't really know what it was it was definitely from the heat exhaustion pneumonia and my lungs just needed time to heal but it led into burnout and it led into burnout because i was doing something that i was passionate about and up to that time i was seeing progress year after year and there's nothing better than running a new PR, that feeling that like, hey, I've reached a new level, right? Then it was 18 months, it really, you know, the the rest of my college career that I didn't PR again in that race. And that was what kind of led into burnout. So once I got to a point like, because there was, you know, nine months really went by and we had no leads, no idea what was going on with me. And I started doubting myself as an athlete I started kind of doubting my confidence I said okay well maybe nothing is wrong with me maybe I'm just not that good right and then that led into like well what is the meaning of sport if I'm not going to get better or or that kind of stuff and I wasn't competing at a way that I wanted to compete at so it made going to competitions harder um, and more stressful because it wasn't a matter of, am I going to PR or not? It was a matter of, am I going to finish or not? Which is not a good feeling when you're lining up against national caliber athletes. And and so so that really led to burnout. Kind of, I started not appreciating running anymore. I was like, now it's just kind of a chore. Tell us what burnout is and like how would an athlete know if they were experiencing burnout? So the the definition that I give, there's other definitions out there and it's kind of becoming more of a term where you can be diagnosed with burnout in a clinical setting. I am not a doctor, so I, I can't diagnose anybody. But what burnout means to me basically is you start to resent something that you once loved. And for me, it was running. Um, a lot of people experience it in their work or their business. Sometimes you start a business and then, you know, you get going into it. It's a lot more work than maybe you thought, or it's a lot more tedious stuff, or there's just things that you don't necessarily like about it. Then you start to resent the business. 
uh, or in my case, running because it's taking away time and energy from things that you could be doing and stuff. So that was like the short definition of burnout is hating something that you once loved, but in the back of your mind, you still know you love it. I outwardly spoke to my wife like I hated running, but inwardly, I knew that I loved it. There's just something wrong, and I you know, couldn't really figure it out. Now, signs leading up to that, what I experienced, and these kind of snowball on each other. First was like I didn't eat as much as I should have. Eating was kind of a chore, and it was unappetizing which leads to further burnout because then you don't have the energy to, you know, tackle the problems that you're kind of facing. And then poor sleep quality. Um, Sometimes, like, you see athletes procrastinate sleeping, Uh, whether it's you're on your phone or, you know, you're like, well, I could just watch more TV or or read a book and and stuff when you're tired, but you're like, I don't want to fall asleep because I'd rather be awake or, or whatever. And then another sign was like a procrastination. This kind of lends in with sleep because you, you can procrastinate sleep. And I am a natural procrastinator. Like I once uh, did a 10-page paper in college in like three hours before it was due, maybe four hours before it was due because I'm an ultimate procrastinator. But this type of procrastination is a little bit different. It's, it's like procrastination to the point of self-sabotage. Like... I would procrastinate my training runs until way late at night and then either have to, you know, do them at night or just not do them for that day. But then you start like you have this war inside your head of like, I know I should go out and do the run. I don't want to. But if I don't do it, then I feel lazy. Uh, the inability to focus you have that brain fog that's another sign of it where you just kind of like, I don't know what to do. You're bouncing in and out of tasks. This one's probably more prevalent in the working world than it is in the in the sports world because um, as an athlete, unless you're writing your own training and coming up with all these different movements, your coach just pretty much tells you what to do. So you just listen to the coach or you don't, especially in running. It's pretty straightforward. You go out and run this time, this distance, you know, and then you come back. And then really the last two are just demotivation, so, um, which lends itself into procrastination if you're not motivated to do something. Uh, And I'm not talking about motivation like, you know, rah, rah, I'm so pumped to get jacked today Uh, because that's always fleeting. And there's days where you could be, you know, on fire for your sport and hate getting out the door, but you do it anyway. I'm talking about like the demotivation where it's like lack of purpose. Like you once had purpose to go out and run because you knew it was leading to something greater. And now you'd like don't believe that. So that's what I mean by demotivation in the context of burnout. And then um, self-care. The last one is self-care takes a backseat. You know, I've always had hygiene habits that might be less than par on, on some people, but they get worse. And, you know, just like the overall care for yourself, the, the me time, it takes a backseat. And you do things that you aren't feeding the soul and feeding you, like, watching TV or mindlessly scrolling through your phone. I think a lot of people think like that's the problem, mindlessly scrolling through your phone or the TV. I don't think that's the problem. I think that's the result. And the problem is within you to take care of it. 
Yeah, so those were six signs of burnout leading into the actual burnout. And the six signs were poor sleep quality, procrastination, brain fog, demotivation, self-care takes a back seat, and eating less. That sounds like a lot mentally. So what was that experience like for you mentally? It is mentally. The, the mental-physical connection is, is very powerful. And you know it can, it can go both ways. So you can be mentally demotivated, which then physically you stop doing things, or you can physically stop doing things, which mentally demotivate you. And for me, I think it was the physical to the mental and then back. <laughs> so like, because I couldn't do this, it messed with my mental game where I started doubting. Um, and I started doubting my future and running, and I started doubting kind of the purpose of running. And it really made me think of, like, what is the purpose of running, right? What is the purpose of sport? And I kind of, uh, being a Christian, as like, what is the purpose of short-term competition? Is it good at all? Because, you, you know, you're fighting for one medal or, or one place because there can only be one winner, right? And what is the point of winning anyways? What does that get you? Not any, you know, eternal benefits, that's for sure. So like, what is the purpose? And that's really what the struggle was for me was I'm doing this thing now, this running thing now, which I always had a purpose for in my life, but now I don't know what it is. And then all the signs of burnout, you know, um, led in with me fighting myself with, Am I lazy or am I, you know, is there a problem with me? Am I good? Am I bad? But I think the the main story here is like the lack of purpose. And for me, how I eventually got out of this burnout or got through it, because eventually I just had to take some time off of running totally. And that's how I eventually got out of it completely. But how I got through the last couple of years of my college career was I had to shift my focus on what running actually meant to me. And it was, you know, the, the competition, what I found for me personally is competition can be good. There's evil in sport, just like there is in business, just like there is in relationships, just like there isn't anything in the world. But there's also a lot of good with it, too. And for me, the good was the relationships, not only the relationships with my team, but also with my competitors, because there's nothing that breaks the ice more than, especially for men, than competition. Like if you get a bunch of strangers in a room and you put them on a basketball team to go play, you know, against this other group of men, and none of them knew each other before, you know, then you start to build relationships with them, whether you like it or not. Sometimes, you know, you work well together, sometimes you don't, but you're forced into a relationship. And I think relationships are always good. They always have the potential to be good, I should say, Um, because there are some relationships that aren't inherently good. But you know, God calls us to have a relationship with people and with him. And that's really how we experience the world is through relationships. So that to me was then what became the purpose for my running. So it was like, okay, I'm not going to the Olympics. I'm not being a professional runner when I get done. Cause you know, at that point, I didn't even know if I could break 420 in the mile anymore. And so like, what is the purpose? Well, I had a team that looked up to me as a leader because I was, whether it's right or wrong, if you're 
the number one or two, you know, running on the team, people like, hey, lead us, right? So that kind of happened naturally my sophomore, junior year because the, everybody else had graduated. And then I was upperclassman and I was the uh, one and two runner on the team. So I had this chance to really influence this group of people through leadership. And that then became my purpose was, okay, I get to do this running thing. And it brings me closer to this group of people um, that I can have influence over in a positive way. So then that is really what changed my mindset and got me through it without going deep into like some sort of depression or that kind of stuff. With having aspirations to participate in the Olympics, does it hurt to have to tell yourself, okay, this is not going to happen? Or were you kind of at the point where it didn't mean as much to you as it did before? It hurt because the thing I struggled with was at that point, I had poured really 10, 11 years of my life into running, right? It started as a fifth grader. Uh, which was semi-serious, and then eighth grade was really serious. So then from eighth grade to that point was really like six, seven years of serious, like eating right, sleeping right, not staying up late, you know, all these kind of sacrifices that come with being an elite athlete. And then it was like, was it all for nothing, right? Because that's, that's the thought that goes through your head. Was it all for nothing? And that was something that I wrestled with and that it hurt. And people knew my goals and, and stuff. So then, like, I felt like I was letting other people down as well as myself. But what I came to realize is that, yeah, I may have sacrificed on this end of my life to, you know, pursue this dream. But through the pursuit, it gave me a lot of different other opportunities that I wouldn't have had in that context. For instance, I remember a runner who eventually came to the same college that I ran for. But my senior year of high school, I, I don't remember this, actually. He just tells me the story. But I had won the 800-meter race at State, and I think he got 7th or 8th. And I had talked to him after the race, and he was a freshman at that time. And I was apparently encouraging and cordial to him and, and said that he was going to be you know something special. And he remembered that through his whole... Um, high school career, his senior year, he found me at that same meet. Well, actually, it was a different meet, same stadium, and came up to me and it's like, hey, you might not know who I am, but you said this to me and it really made an impact on me. And like, like that stuff is cool, right? Because when you're in the spotlight, if you have this talent, the world kind of puts a spotlight on you and then you get to use that in the way that you want. So to see kind of the breadcrumbs of what my career was able to impact other people. And there's some other stories of people like reaching out to me afterwards that I didn't even realize like how much of an impact I had on them. Like that's the stuff that I'm like, okay, it, you know, it wasn't all in vain. It was worth it. And I think sometimes when you start thinking like, was this all in vain? You know, then God puts breadcrumbs in for you to see. Cause you don't always see like, the fruits of your labor, right? You're planting seeds out there, but what it grows into, you have no idea. So I think being able to see some of those fruits takes the edge off of the the disappointment. Yeah, I totally get that. Being a teacher, it's kind of the same thing. Like when a student comes back to you and says, oh, well, I did this because you did this in your class or you said this. Yeah, Totally. 
I would almost almost guarantee there's everybody has a teacher in their life that like this had a significant impact on me. So when you're in that kind of messed up headspace, what are some things that you could do to help you get out of that headspace? Yeah, first is identifying it. I mean, that's half the battle. I think there's so many people that are going through life just kind of sleepwalking and not understanding where their headspace is, what they're shooting for, like what are they aiming for in life? What are their goals? And, you know, you talk about smart goals, which kind of gets beat to death in school. But dreams, aspirations, vision, I think that's important in everybody's life. Being clear about it, right? For me, it was I was clear about the Olympics. I was clear about professional running for a long time. And then that was like, okay, that's gone. Now what? Right. And it took me a while to be clear then on what's the next thing for me. And that had a lot to do with the burnout because I didn't know what I was aiming for. I was just kind of going through life and stuff. So I think the first step is like understanding what you're aiming for and then understanding that if you're not aiming for anything, that could be part of the problem. And then the other thing is if you're aiming for something, say I hadn't recognized that the Olympics wasn't going to be an option for me anymore. And I was just continued to chase it. One school of thought may have been, yeah, then he gets there, right? Um, Because if you work hard enough, if you dream hard enough, then it'll happen for you. Well, that's not always the case. You have to have luck, skill, and all of it put together and hard work to to make something like that happen, Um, whether it be, you know, millions of dollars in business or professional athleticism but recognizing that i wasn't going to able to do that then reframing i think that's the biggest thing is just reframing where you're at so understanding i'm in this and then reframing to okay maybe it's because of this and it might not necessarily be because you can't do that anymore especially in business because if you're in business and you're like i wanted to build this company that i thought was going to be legit and then i'm burnt out of it because i have to do all these little tasks you know it might be that well then identifying i really hate this part of the business okay now i know that let's make a plan to step out of that whether it's offering less of that service or product or hiring somebody else to do it. You know, you might not be able to do that right away, but at least if you have a plan, a goal, a vision to get that done, then you can see the finish line of doing that. And I think that is important. That had to be a horrible experience for you because so much of your life was wrapped up in running. But what was the blessing in disguise? We kind of talked about it a little bit with like the breadcrumbs and not knowing how much you impact people and then kind of seeing it come to fruition years later. If somebody were to ask me like if I would change my college career or change kind of like take the burnout, take the pneumonia, take the heat exhaustion out of my story and just have this like straight path to potential you know, professional running and the Olympics. I think the right answer is to say, no, I wouldn't change it. Right. But I think it'd be a hard decision to say, no, I wouldn't change it. I think I, I might change it just to see what would happen and see what that life is. Cause I know what this life is, but that being said, I don't dwell on it anymore. I 
I don't regret it happening to me because I've learned a lot about relationships through it. And I think that's really the blessing of it is it forced me to realize relationships is how you experience life. It's through relationships, right? If you are alone on a desert island by yourself for, you know, 40 years, like, are you really living? I mean, because how, how are you able to process that? How are you able to share that? You know, you'll probably start a relationship with an animal or a rock or a volleyball, you know, because humans need relationship. So I think that was really like what this whole experience taught me. and. That's the thing I wouldn't take away. If I could take that and be like, okay, I understand relationships are important, and then go back and not go through all this, I would. But you can't do that. So how has your experience with burnout shaped what you're doing today? Uh, well, it's shaped my routine, for one, because I know recovery is important. I know taking time to yourself is important. What led me into kind of the Science of Sports Recovery podcast is that notion of recovery from the physical world and mental world of sport because it's really demanding. It's both mentally and both physically. And we have this culture of go, go, go. And not just in sports, but also in business and life. And um, it's kind of a badge of honor to be busy, right? People ask you how you're doing, busy cool because if you're not busy something's wrong with you right but that's not the case and as hard as you go as hard as you put your effort into your workouts into your business into your relationships into your life you have to recover from that because as humans we aren't meant to just sustain high energy we ebb and we flow and and that's how we're built you know you know god created the world in six days and then he rested resting is a big part of us and it's a big part of our lives so i didn't think that that was talked about enough in sport you know you you hear all these motivational speakers it's like you gotta wake up at 4 a.m and you know work 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 and if you're not running twice a day every day you know then you're crap well, it's not the case. I think, you know, if you learn to recover better, you can actually do less work or less amount and harder work and then recover from that better. So that was really uh, why I started the science of sports recovery and why I kind of talked to both researchers and athletes about their story on, you know, what they do for their recovery routine. How do they get to the level that they are now and that kind of stuff. So and then as far as like, I have a, a business called Perfect My Podcast, where um, I do podcast production for many different clients. And it's shaped me there too, because I bought the relationship now. It's not necessarily like transactional. I I value the, the client relationship and my marketing reflects that. Like I do what I can to build relationships, not only me and other podcasters, but other podcasters and other podcasters together. So I think that's really where the experience from burnout has been reflected in my life is one, I talk about it weekly, you know, now on a recovery show, but two, it's also shaped kind of how I view business and marketing and stuff too. Well, thank you, Jace, for coming on. I love sports, but never had the potential to be an elite athlete. So I know that people who are in that space, they're 
is a lot of stuff that you guys go through. So thanks for kind of opening up and sharing your story about that. Yeah, no problem. And the last thing I would, I'd leave somebody with that is in that I want to be a professional athlete mindset is try it and, and shoot for it and go for it for all your worth. But no, if you don't make it, like it's not the end of you. There's other stuff for you out there. But if you're going to, you know, regret not going for it, you got to give it a shot. And you can go for it, you know, until you're 30 and still be young enough to do anything else you want in life. That is true. Thanks so much, Jace. Thanks, Shannon. Stay tuned for the mic drop moment. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's time for the mic drop, y'all. I will never know the pressures that elite athletes face, but they greatly affect them both physically and mentally, and affect their ability to compete in the sport they love. Athletes like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles have been criticized recently for taking breaks from mental recovery, but Jace learned firsthand the dangers of not doing so when his health suffered. At the level that these athletes compete, they have huge goals and not meeting them can create a cycle of self-doubt, guilt, and even more pressure that can lead to burnout and negatively affect an athlete's career. They push themselves to a level that most of us don't, and that physical stress can cause mental stress, and vice versa. Jace realized that taking a step back to recover can actually make someone a better athlete. Much of Jace's identity was wrapped up in running. So when he had health issues and his body failed him, it took him on a journey of self-discovery. He started to question if he had wasted half of his life making sacrifices and preparing for something that wasn't meaningful. Though Jace kept it 100 in saying that he did wish he could have changed his circumstances, which I appreciate. Everything happens for a reason. Jace's body was telling him that he needed that break, and he found a deeper purpose in calling for his life beyond just being a runner. He realized that he was called to be a runner for the relationships and people it brought into his life. To quote Jace, humans need relationship. Relationships are how we experience the world. And Jace has chosen to use his gift and his influence to be a light to others. Last, I love what Jay said about this culture of having to be busy all the time. 
I'm sure that's why depression and anxiety is so prevalent in this country. We need to slow down and rest sometimes. If we don't, like Jace found out, our bodies will force us to. You can do it the easy way or the hard way. Don't forget to leave a review. Grace and blessings. Blessings.